0: Okay, folks, I know that I've got some safe drivers out there. And I'm going to talk to you about your safe driving. You consider yourself a safe driver. You never exceed the speed limit. Not ever. Not ever speed. You never speed. You're never speeding. And the police can never give you a speeding ticket because you're never speeding. You stop completely at every stop sign. In fact, not only at every stop sign, but when you take a right on red and the light is red... You actually completely stop, which I don't think most people do. But I'm telling you, you are the one of those people that completely stops at the, at the light before you take that right on red. You always use your direction signal when you're going to turn. Always. Even when you're going to change lanes, you use your direction signal and you get over. Given plenty of time for the drivers around you to know which way that you're going to go. You've got all of these things that you would say, this makes me a safe driver. But you got just one flaw. You drive on the wrong side of the road. Does does that negate all of your safe driving? If you drive on the wrong side of the road? Probably so, right? Just one flaw. Okay, let's say you consider yourself a fully committed Christian. In fact, you call yourself a fully committed follower of Christ. You read your Bible every day. You pray every day. You pray for other people, in fact. You, you share your faith. You pray that you can get the opportunity to share your faith. And every time the opportunity is in front of you, you share your faith. You give. You give to the Lord through the church. Or you give to the Lord, period. And, the, and you serve. You serve the Lord. But you've got one flaw. You're impatient with people okay you're going to say but wait a minute I think some of you are saying wait a minute you're meddling now but wait a minute just being impatient are you trying to tell me that if I'm just impatient that it won't I can't still be a fully committed follower of Christ well let's look at what the scripture says obviously Say, I don't think anybody's going to argue with me with this statement, but I'm going to say it anyway. Jesus commanded us to love one another. Nobody, no arguments here. I don't think I've got any arguments in the whole place. Not, not any argument. Jesus said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to have love, uh, to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, that this commandment, obviously, he said a new commandment. It's not a new commandment in the sense to love one another. It's a new commandment because we're supposed to love as Jesus loved us. Now, that's the new commandment. You see, we can't look like we love people. We must actually truly love people the way that Jesus loves us. That's the big deal here. Because we can look like we love other people. We can even be considered a loving person by the rest of the world. But that won't make us the loving people that God wants us to be. In the definition of what love is, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 4a. I'll just give you the first part of this verse. Love is patient and kind. You see those words there? Love is patient. Now, when we look at the verses before that, we see that it says that if we do not have love, boy, we are what? And most of the time it says nothing. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I will read this this way. If I could preach like Charles Spurgeon, Charles Stanley, and uh, Chuck Swindoll, all wrapped up in one, and I don't have love, then I'm just making noise. That's what it says to me. It says, and "And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I read this this way. If I have studied so much that I have a PhD in Greek, a PhD in Hebrew, I've got a PhD in systematic uh, theology, I know how to explain the scriptures from the beginning to the end, I don't ever even need to look at a commentary anymore because I have all of this knowledge in my head. You know what it says there? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Okay? It said, and if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, and have not love, I gain nothing. And you see what it's saying there. Even if I go out and I sacrifice myself in every way so that I look like I have the greatest sacrifice that it has ever been. I serve like nobody has ever served before, but I have no love in my heart when I do it. It's nothing. Let's see if I've gotten this right and you would agree with this. So all of our Christian life amounts to nothing if we lack love. Is that Did I get it right? Yeah, I think I got it right. That's a hard one, isn't it? And if I read that very first verse that comes after these first three verses here, which says love is patient and kind, that if I understand that, it says, and if we lack patience, we lack love. Do I get this right as well? That's what it looks like to me. I think for some reason, we'd like to say, I love people, but I'm not patient with people, and that's okay. We don't seem to want to connect the two, you know, connect the dots here. That love and patience go together. We don't seem to understand that. Let me give it to you in a more graphic way, a better understanding. Let's say that a husband and wife go out on a, uh, a date night. They go, let's say they, the, they go to the theater, they go to the movies, it doesn't matter where they went. But afterwards, what they do in the parking lot, they encounter another couple. A couple that they know pretty well. And the wife who is driving that night, she has the keys in her hands, and, and she's one of those people, you know what I'm talking about, the people that, that can't talk without their hands. You know what I'm talking about. They're the ones that they use their hands, and you know, if, you, if you tied their hands down to the side, they couldn't talk to you. You know, so that was, that's their story. And so she's got her keys in her hand, and she drops her keys. And her husband picks them up and hands them back to her. But they continue on the conversation, and she continues to, you know, use her hands in such a way, and she drops her keys again. And her husband reaches down and picks them up, hands them back to her. And then after, you know, a while goes on, you know, she's, she's talking to them some more, and they're talking all together, and they're laughing together and everything. She drops the keys again, and the husband picks up the keys, and he says... You drop these one more time and I'm going to stick them in your mouth. At that moment, at that moment, he may love her. She may somehow know that he loves her. But at that moment, she doesn't feel loved. She's embarrassed in front of these people. And she's hurt. And you have to look and you have to say, you know, where's the love in this? Do love and patience go together? Absolutely. Patience is often in opposition to pride. Ecclesiastes 7, 8b says, And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. You know, I I look at this and I, I say, Why am I not patient with this other person? Especially if I say, You know what, that person is wasting my time. Then what have I just said? I'm more important than they are. Listening to them is not as important as what I am. And I, I'm not really saying that all the time when somebody is talking and, and, and you know, they couldn't be wrong and you could be right. I, I understand that. I, I really understand that. But patience doesn't necessarily concede the point, but impatience disar- disregards the value of the other person. Impatience reveals how much we really think of ourselves. Here are some of the signs that reveal that you are full of pride in spirit rather than patient in spirit. First, you are argumentative immediately when someone disagrees with you. Instead of listening to them and understanding their point of view, view, you jump right back at them. You jump back at them every time because you're just not going to listen to anybody tell you something that you don't necessarily agree with. Number two, you you want to be heard more than you want to listen. And these are the words that you will probably say in your argument. Now listen to me. Now listen to me. Now listen to me. Because you want to be heard more than you want to hear in that individual. Number three, you get angry before the conversation ends. In fact, you can't simply say, you know what, we've got a disagreement here. If I can't overpower you with my reasoning or my force of personality, then, you know, that I'm angry with you. That's on that side. And four, you resist seeing another's point of view or who they actually are, who they are. That is challenging you who that person is. You don't see them as a human being. You see them as an opposing force. You see them as someone to be conquered. You see them as someone who needs to be convinced, not as somebody that Jesus died for and somebody that you need to love. I knew a pastor, knew this pastor, who told his staff That if anyone were to even listen to anything negative about him, it was a firing offense. You could be fired simply because somebody, a member of the church, would come up and tell you something negative. In fact, he believed his way was so right that he thought no godly person could disagree with him. That's the way that he actually looked at it. And so he was impatient with every person who came to give him advice. He was impatient with him, especially if that advice didn't agree with what he was already going to do. He didn't want to hear any of that. And his problem was what? It was pride. It was pride. And you know, here's the problem with pride. Pride often hides itself from the prideful person. That really is true. A person full of pride usually doesn't even know they're full of pride. And it hides itself from the prideful person. Patience bears with others. Ephesians 4.2 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. We bear with and have patience with other people in love. I think that there are some people who think that it is their God-given responsibility to tell everybody who has slightly offended them how they've been offended. They think that Matthew 18 is, uh, you know, that's the scripture tells you how to handle an offense. They think that is a mandate that they have to go every time to get that person to concede that they have hurt them. Let me tell you what Matthew 18 is. Matthew is something that is either so incredibly egregious, it's got to be really, really deep, or it's got to be something that is continuing on so you need to see it stop. That's where, it, where Matthew 18 is supposed to be because the first thing you need to consider when somebody does something to offend you is to bite your lip and get over it. That's the number one thing to do. And because most of the time people aren't trying to offend you. That guy that pulls in front of you into your lane while you're driving along doesn't care about offending you. He's just a jerk. That's all there is to it. And the church member that may say something uh, to you or about you may not have intended to hurt you or to offend you. And sometimes there are other factors that go on in people's lives that, that put them in a situation where they say things that they shouldn't have said. Have you ever been hungry and said something you shouldn't have said? Have you ever been tired? Have you ever been sick? Have you ever been under stress? It could be that this is exactly what has happened here. And most of the time, the person may not even be aware that you're the person that they're offending. They don't even know that they're, they're doing it. And so I think that a, a lack of love, we jump to conclusions. We jump and say, oh, they hurt me. Oh, I need to go do something about it. And many times we just say, you know what? I don't really know what's going on in their life. And maybe I just need to bite my lip and go on. And Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he tells the story of riding to work on a bus in the morning. Now, I drove a city bus for two years, so I know a lot about that. What happens is, is that a lot of people, they ride the bus in order to get to work because it's much more convenient. doesn't mean they don't have a car. They, when I was driving in Fort Worth, think about it. It was $70 to have a parking space downtown. It was $28 to have, ride the bus for a pass for a month. Think about it for a moment. Plus, you didn't spend your gasoline on it as well. And I would drive these people in the early morning, and nearly every one of them, of course this is the late 70s, early 80s, newspaper, you understand? They brought their newspaper, they're on the bus, they're riding in, they've got the newspaper in front of them, and this is what what happens. Well it so happens that this this man gets on with his children, and the children start running up and down the aisles, and they're yelling, and they're hitting people's papers, and, and finally Covey says he can't put up with it anymore and so he turns to the man and you know, he's, you know how you get, you get angry about this point and you say sir you need to get control of your children and here's I copied this directly out of the book the man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly oh you're right I guess I should do something about it We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. And I don't know what to think. And I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Do things change at that moment? Do things change at that very moment? You see what happened? Once you understand, what happened to you? You started to say, oh, no, wait a minute. That's a different story here. And you know how many times have we said, some people just don't know how to handle their children. I mean, if they were my children, they wouldn't be able to do that sort of thing. And we take that point of view, not understanding what could have gone on in this person's life. And so what do we do? Our understanding changes our incredible, incredibly changes our perspective of what's going on. And so we need to understand. Understand. Patience is necessary for persuasion as well. Patience is necessary in persuasion. Proverbs twenty-five, fifteen says, With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. A person convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You understand that? Patience uses a soft voice. Patience lets the other person make the choice. Coercion demands its way, and coercion seeks a concession. I have seen preachers use the most underhanded ways to get people to walk down the aisle during an invitation hymn. In one case I know of, I didn't see this. The guy brings an American flag, and at the end, what he does is he, he waves the American flag, and he says, we want this nation to be a Christian nation, and if you want it to be a Christian nation, come down the aisle right now. In another case, the preacher invites the, the boss at this uh, big company to show up and tells the boss to make sure that he gets as many of his employees there as he can. And the, the employees are sitting there. The big boss is sitting there. And the preacher says, uh, your boss wants his company to be a Christian company. Don't you want to be a Christian today? Won't you come down the aisle so when the boss is watching you, you can imagine what happened. Everybody walked down the aisle. That's exactly what happened. I know specifically of a preacher that held that invitation, him, open for an hour they were singing and singing and singing and singing, standing and standing until virtually everybody in the room eventually walked down the aisle. I promise you folks, if I'd been there I'd walk the aisle too. I'd have done anything to get that service over with. Just telling you. You see, but the Bible says Whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. And the key word there is believes. You see, it's not a word that says, whosoever is forced to repeat words after me. You see, the Bible says that a soft tongue will break a bone. And we, as preachers, need to understand, we need to let the Holy Spirit work. That's really what our job is. Patience is necessary for discipleship. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Admonish the idle, that is to give them warning and indicate what they should do in a very gentle manner. In other words, there's somebody that's doing something that they shouldn't be doing. Are there something that they need to be doing? And they, you know, let me tell you what the problem is. Most of the time, people aren't even aware there's something they're supposed to be doing. They're unaware. And so because they're unaware, they don't understand that they shouldn't be doing it. If they don't understand. They don't, and they're not concerned with what the, the, what's going on. And if they're not concerned, you know what? They're satisfied with the status quo. What I'm doing seems to be okay, and I'm going to keep doing what I keep doing. You see, we've got to admonish them in a very gentle way. We lead them from, from the unawareness to their awareness, to their understanding, to their concern. And I'll tell you what, if you ever get to a, a person to the place, place of being uh, discontent, they'll do it. It doesn't matter what it is, they'll do it. Because they won't be satisfied with the status quo anymore. Encourage the faint-hearted. There are those that are discouraged, not those that are depressed. Clinical depression is not what I'm talking about here. But there are some people who have been in the battle of life so long, and they've been like boxers. Boxers, who, you know how they, how they get into the ring and they start boxing, and after you hit the guy so many times, what happens is he drops his gloves by his side he no longer is he blocking and he blows and in the old days they let the other boxer just pound him into the canvas they don't do that anymore there's a lot of people especially those that come to church that they have been beat up so much by the world they don't need to come to church and get beat up one more time what they need is a little bit of encouragement you know I'm going to do a little experiment here I did it in the early service some of them complied some of them didn't I want you to all comply with this one thing that I tell you. So wake up just for a moment so you can, you can understand what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have you do something right now. I want you to turn to the person on the left or the person on the right or go both ways if you want to. And I want you to look at that person and take turns and say, I've never seen you looking better. Now do it right now. Actually do that. Now, folks, I know that you were contrived to do that. But did you see the atmosphere in this place kind of go up all of a sudden? Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Saying an encouraging word to someone. Sometimes it takes more than one encouraging word. And sometimes you got to do it two times, three times, four times, five times. It's going to take patience to give them that encouraging word. But look what happens. Look what happens. You lift people up. Then help the weak, it says. I'm not talking about the sick or the physically weak. I'm talking about people who are captured in sin. They may genuinely repent, but they keep returning back to the things they've done before. They may seem strong at church, but they can't make it during the week. You you pray for them to be under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but what they really need, and what they really, really need is victory. They need victory. When I was in... Uh, my doctor ministry program is one time we had uh, the professors started this so it kind of came around the room there's only like 12 people in the room so you understand we can all get this done and what happens and I'm not going to give you all of them what happened is they were coming around one of the pastors said that I'm struggling with my, my my manliness and he said the reason is because my wife left me for another woman and he was struggling with that Another one told about how the struggle he was having with his wife. And then the one that really got me was one of these pastors, pastors of a Baptist church. He said, I've been hiding my alcoholism from my church for five years. You know what? I looked at that man and I realized something. You know what that man didn't need? He didn't need judgment. Though I know Christians, we all shoot our wounded. He didn't need judgment. You know what he needed? Victory. And if he's going to have victory, what was he going to have to have? He was going to have to have some help. He needed somebody to help him. He needed somebody who's going to walk along beside him. That is what it needs. And sometimes we just need to help those people. order, And I'll tell you one thing. You need to be patient if you're going to do this. Because anybody that has an addiction you're going to be patient with. They will fall back many times, too often. Not saying they have to. But if we're filled with the Spirit, we disciple patiently. And so I I came to this conclusion. The lack of patience fills that we just aren't filled with the Spirit. There's You know, there's nine characteristics of the Spirit. There's not nine fruits of the Spirit. There's nine characteristics. And we get along with love, joy, and peace pretty well. But when we get to that one called patience, that's when we really need to be filled with the Spirit. Because I promise you, there will be people who will try your patience. So I ask you this. Are you full of the Spirit? I'd rather ask you that than are you patient? Because I know that if you aren't patient, you're not full of the Spirit. Would you pray with me?